0: This week's reading is from Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, we are continuing on in our series through the Psalms of Ascent. Um, so if you haven't yet, open your Bible to 123 uh, of the Psalms. Um, this is the, it's the fourth of 15 Songs of Ascent. So I don't know if we're going to make it th- all the way through, but we're going we're to start and, and see how far we'll get, and at some point we'll we'll jump into, uh, Sermon on the Mount, which we're really excited about. But uh, Sinclair Ferguson calls uh, these collection of songs uh, a pocket manual for the pilgrim. Um, these these are songs that the pilgrims sang as they journeyed uh, towards Jerusalem. Uh, for their uh, kind of annual festival, uh, religious festivals. So you have Zion or, or Jerusalem. It's actually situated on on top of a hill, on top of a uh, uh, of of uh, of a hill. So no matter which way you approach uh, Jerusalem, you have to ascend into it. Um, I was uh, talking to Chris, and uh, him and his wife Emma went on their honeymoon to Jerusalem, and, and you, it is. You, you have to ascend steeply into. Uh, into Jerusalem, and there 's this anticipation that, that still exists when you 're when you're going into the city gates. Um, so you have these annual pilgrim festivals that the people gather together uh, in Jerusalem to, to worship the Lord. Uh, as we said last week, you have the Passover. Uh, it reminds them of their deliverance out of Egypt, uh, out of uh, slavery. Um, you have the Feast of First Fruits, reminds them that the Lord is their provider. They take the first fruits of the harvest and, and offer them to the Lord. Uh, the Feast of Booths reminds them that, the, that their preservation is in the Lord. So all throughout these songs, you see these themes uh, you've, of, of deliverance, of salvation, God's ongoing provisions for us, Him preserving us. Um, and remember last week, we said that these songs are a journey. Um, they're a journey from a, a long way away to the very heart of God. Um, so the intention of these songs is to take us on a spiritual journey to closer to God. Um, and I mentioned last week that our journeys are, are important. Um, it's important to, to reflect back on your journey, to, to, to be honest with your journey, the ups and the downs, the, the very amazing bits and the very hard bits. Um, we're honest with these things because God has purpose in them. Um, because God has purpose in every part of your journey—the good parts, the hard parts—and um, these these songs of ascent, they're meant they're meant to assist us pilgrims on our journey. Um, they're they're meant to be sung together. They're meant to be sung to one another. They're meant to be sung to God, um, which is why they're probably so short, you know, so you can memorize them and sing them quickly. Um, they're meant to help us on our journey to to bring us from a very far away place. Closer to the heart of God. Um, so just to recap again, uh, you see the progression uh, kind of happening as you make your way chronologically through, this, through these, uh, uh, these collection of songs. So Psalm 120, you, you have this yearning for peace, uh, for things to be made right. Uh, so the psalmist cries out in his distress, deliver me, O Lord. Uh, he seeks peace but those around him only want conflict with him and his faith. There's, there's a recognition uh, that he needs the Lord to deliver him, uh, to help him. It's a lament of this individual who's a long way from, this, from the holy city. And he's desperate for what the Lord has to offer. Um, and then in Psalm 121, uh, you see the pilgrim setting out on the journey. Um, so he's far away from the holy city, but he embarks out, uh, on, on his journey uh, to Jerusalem. There's this anticipation for making it to the city. Um, but along the way, he has to learn that it's the Lord that's his help. Uh, it's the Lord uh, that, that is his keeper. Um, so in that one, you, the hills of Jerusalem are in view, uh, but it's the Lord that guides him. Um, it's the, he's, he's learning to trust the Lord, to have confidence in God along the journey. Um, And then last week in Psalm 122, we saw his arrival to the city, Uh, a song of thanksgiving, uh, a song of gladness, of excitement to be standing at the city gates. Uh, He's thrilled, not with with the scenery of Jerusalem, but rather for the way of worship, for for the gathering of the scattered, diverse tribes uh, of Israel, Uh, the gathering of them into this one corporate, unified body. Uh, that psalm showed us the, the beauty and the significance of the people of God gathered as one. And here we are in Psalm 123. Um, a couple things to notice before we, uh, we jump in. Uh, notice in verses 1 and 2 uh, of this psalm, uh, again, it begins in the singular. I lift my eyes, um, but it ends up in the plural quite quickly. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till, till he has mercy upon us. Um, We noticed last week, one of our main points was this move from the individual to the corporate. uh, That that this song is is a song for the community. Um, The the people are collectively lifting up this petition before the Lord. Uh, Secondly, notice the parallel between uh, how this psalm begins and how Psalm 121 begins. Um, How does 121 begin? It's the same, I lift my eyes to the hills. Um, whereas the pilgrim here in 123, he, he lifts his eyes immediately to something higher than the hills, um, to, the, to the Lord enthroned in, in the heavens. The, the psalmist in 121, he does get there, um, but he, he begins by lifting his, his eyes to the hills. This psalmist lifts his eyes a little bit higher um, to the God who's enthroned in heaven. Um, Spurgeon calls this the psalm of the eyes. Um, others call it the psalm of focus. Um, and it is, uh, it is a real eye-opening psalm uh, for these pilgrims because they come face-to-face with reality here. Um, last week, uh, we saw that 122 is a very positive, uh, uplifting psalm. Uh, it's, all, it's filled with gladness, with excitement, uh, thrilled to be standing at the gates of Jerusalem, okay, gazing on the city that's, that's bound firmly together. The tribes ascending in diversity and and, and unity. Thanksgiving being offered. uh, Prayers for the peace of Jerusalem, for the brothers and companions. All this for the sake of the Lord our God. Really excited to gather. Uh, But here in in 123, as they enter the city, they're met with the reality of what's waiting for them. Uh, The psalm, it's it's categorized as a communal lament. uh, But it's a unique lament because it's kind of flipped upside down. So the, the usual format of a lament psalm is you have the complaint, you have the, the, the statement of what's wrong at the beginning, uh, and then it proceeds into the petition, the, the cry for help, uh, for deliverance, and then usually into this expression of trust that the Lord can do this. Uh, but this song, it actually has the complaint at the end, uh, and the petition is in the middle, and the expression of trust is at the very beginning. Um, I don't know why. It's a song. It's poetry. Uh, he they, they just decided that this is the best way to kind of do it. Um, but in, So in order for us to understand the context uh, of the psalm, we need to start at the end. Um, before we do that, let's, let's pray again. Um, Father, we love you. Um, we need you. Um, it's easy, Lord, to, um, uh, to just kind of fall into the motion, um, but don't let us do that. Uh, we've, we've sung, we've prayed, come Holy Spirit, come Jesus, come. Uh, let that be the cry of our hearts, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and help us. help us Lord Uh, help us to see you help us take the the scales off of our eyes again Lord may we decrease may we may may we lift our eyes off of ourselves Lord uh, and place them on you fix our gaze on you again uh, this morning Jesus we need your help Uh, we expect your help Uh, we ask these things as as your sons and your daughters Uh, All in the name of Jesus, amen. So, verses three and four, uh, we're going to start at the end to help us uh, see the context of the psalm. Um, It says, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. So they've entered the gates, okay? they're filled with gladness, with excitement, uh, but then as they enter into the city, they find that Jerusalem is, is not this euphoric destination, it's, it's not this paradise. Um, they've entered the city and, and what are they met with? What kind of people? Uh, verse 4 tells us that these, these pilgrims, these people of God, enter the city of God, but they're met, they're, they, they encounter the proud and those who are at ease. They're met with the contempt of the proud and the scorn of those who are at ease. The context of the psalm is one of contempt. Um, They're they're experiencing scorn and scoffing. Uh, We're not told who exactly these people are that are scorning them, uh, but it, it, it could be the unfaithful Israelites in Jerusalem, those who have kind of abandoned uh, their belief in God, they've rejected uh, God. could be unbelieving Gentiles who they're passing. We don't know the exact circumstance, but we know that the circumstance is one of contempt. Um, the psalm again reminds us, just like the rest of the Bible, that this world is not our home, that this age is not our goal. Because our home, is a, is, it's not a place where we bear contempt and scorn. But while we are in this world, this is our reality. Um, That this is why we need this psalm. It's a reminder that that God's acceptance of us doesn't guarantee the world's acceptance of us. Remember what Jesus says in 15. He actually says quite the opposite. Uh, He's speaking to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... Well, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So here's the big question. When when believers feel the pain of the world's contempt, what should we do? What's our answer? How, how do we react? Jesus says, the world is going to hate me, is going to persecute me. What do I do? And, and the psalm gives us that answer. Um, uh, Jesus says, if you're following me, it's because I've, I've chosen you out of the world, and that's going to, reject, that's going to result in, in the world's rejection of you. He says that they persecuted me, and whatever happens to the master will also happen to the servants so you can expect persecution as well and that's what these people are met with um, I guess the question that comes to mind that you should ask yourself is are you experiencing this are, are you experiencing the contempt the the persecution that Jesus promised his followers it's a tricky question isn't it um, I, I realize that we don't, we, we don't experience the same persecution that the rest of the world might, okay? So we're blessed to live in a, a free and open society. We're free to gather together. Uh, we don't have uh, a fear of, of people coming in and arresting us or killing us. Um, we're free to gather to worship. We don't experience the same kind of persecution that the rest of the world might. But what about what Jesus said? He said, the world is going to reject you like it rejected me. Uh, so while, while the hatred from the world might be different from various places, so we have brothers and sisters who gather in Turkey and they have to have armed guards at the, at the door. We don't have that. Are you still, are you experiencing the world's contempt? Uh, and contempt is serious um, it's easy to uh, a little contempt, a little scoffing, um, but contempt is is the feeling that a person is worthless and, and, and actually beneath even consideration. Ligon Duncan says that there are many things that can bruise, but there are few things that go deeper than the feeling of scorn and contempt of another. Derek Kidner says that contempt is cold steel; it goes deeper into the spirit than any other uh, kind of rejection. Even, even Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, he speaks of contempt as more dangerous than anger, which he likens to murder. So in Matthew 5.22, he, he says that those who scorn or, or wrongfully uh, have contempt for their, name, for their neighbor are in danger of hellfire. So don't belittle a, a little bit of contempt, a little bit of scorn. This kind of persecution is searing. Have you experienced that from the world? If the answer is no for you, you, I think you just have to ask yourself, why not, right? Um, it, it, and I think it's either, is it because the world is so uh, um, tolerant and accepting of your faith? Or is it because the world doesn't know that you're not of the world? They think you're one of them. Um, I, whatever your answer is, I want you to see that The latter of those could not have been true uh, for these pilgrims. Because imagine the scene. Um, All the tribes of the Lord, thousands of believers, thousands of pilgrims making their way into the city. And what are they doing? They're singing these songs of ascent. Uh, They're they're entering the gates with thanksgiving into the courts with praise. There, There would be no doubt that these are ones that aren't from here. Like, here they come, singing their songs of praise, singing their songs of deliverance, their songs of persecution. There's no question where their allegiance lied. And and what are they met with? The scorn of those who are at ease and the contempt of the proud. And and listen to me, I'm not saying that the entire world is going to um, meet you with contempt. Um, um, if every non-believer you encounter uh, doesn't greet you with scorn and contempt, then you must be doing something wrong. That's not what I'm saying. We, we shouldn't have this attitude of them versus us. Um, some uh, will see the way you live. They'll see the way you love. And the Holy Spirit will begin to work in their life, will begin to soften them. Um, the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened, like Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, so that they can, they can know the hope to which he's calling them to, and then they'll become Christians. Uh, but some of them will greet you with contempt. We're promised that. And when that happens, what do we do? Um, you, can Im- you can imagine how, how this would affect them, uh, being met with those people saying, why are you wasting your time with these festivals? Why are you wasting your time worshiping a God that you can't even see? These people scoffing at them, mocking them. And notice uh, in verses three and four, they say, we've had more than enough of contempt. Our, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of these people. They're mocking, they're scoffing, they're contempt. Not just enough, but, but more than Enough. Um, This word, it means uh, greatly filled or sated. I can't take anymore. I'm stuffed. Imagine how being met with this contempt would affect them. How would it affect you? When you hear someone making fun of belittling what you trust and treasure concerning Jesus Christ, what do you do? Uh, There's a temptation to get angry. A temptation to get uh, angry at those showing contempt. Uh, there's a, a temptation to, to get angry at God, for allowing the contempt to take place, to get bitter, to get cynical. There's a temptation to quiet down, to blend in with them. Uh, remember Peter after the crucifixion of Jesus, "Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples?" And he, he says, "No, that's not, not me. I'm like one of you guys." What do you do? And here's here's the answer to that question of what we're meant to do when we're met with contempt. This psalm shows us that um, to worship the Lord rightly in times of trouble, we focus our eyes upon him and we wait for mercy. When the people of God are under the contempt of the world, they lift their eyes to him, the one who is enthroned in the heavens, and we wait for mercy. Mercy. Uh, but we see, uh, so we see the problem that they have in verses 3 and 4, the contempt, the scoffing, the scorn of the world. Uh, next, let's look at their plea, their petition, their cry for help in verse 3. Um, so the, you have the, the pilgrim uh, standing in the middle of the city, full of contempt and scorn, and he pleads, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Uh, notice the, the prayer is not just for the individual again. Uh, he's praying for others. He's praying for his, his family, for his community, his brothers and sisters. He's pleading. He's singing for his fellow pilgrims. We're all in need, in need of mercy. And Just imagine the scene: them walking and, and enduring the contempt and singing, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Uh, the word mercy for mercy here, um, it, it's sometimes translated as graciousness. Um, essentially, it means to show favor. Um, so while the proud, while, while those who are at ease are heaping insults on me, have mercy upon me, Lord. Be gracious. Show favor to me. Um, the words, it's used uh, all throughout the Old Testament, Old, Old Testament, 30 times in the Psalms alone. Uh, there's three things that you see about the way that this word is used, and it helps us kind of understand what they're asking for. Uh, firstly, uh, we should know that, that, that God's favor cannot be earned or deserved, okay? That's like Gospel 101. There's no such thing as deserved grace. Um, the same word, it's used in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, uh, and Paul uses that in, in Romans 9 as well, it says, God, uh, God says, I will be gracious upon whom I will be gracious. I, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The, the, the God, God chooses to be merciful. He's not merciful because we deserve it or because we somehow convince him uh, that, that, we, that we've earned it. It's a gift. I, I show mercy, it's, it's a free gift. There's no such thing as deserved mercy. But we also see that even though the people know this, uh, even though they knew that they didn't deserve it, they still asked for it. Um, So in Psalm 4, 2, it says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my cry. Uh, I love, again, the the honesty uh, of their prayers. Uh, this urgent plea uh, with, with their father that you can have because you're a son, you're, you're a daughter of, of the king. Be merciful, be gracious, Have favor on me when you hear my cry. Uh, thirdly, notice that they didn't just pray for themselves, but they prayed for others. It's a communal prayer. Um, you see this in, in the ironic blessing in number six. Um, a lot of you would have said this growing up every week, okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Have mercy, show favor to you. Um, so this, this favor, it's not earned or deserved. Uh, it's not just for, for you alone. It's for us. But we also see that the Lord is gracious to his people, which is really great news. So if you're going to pray for it, know that he does deliver uh, so, Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore exalts himself to show mercy to you. And do you see the way that they're praying for this relief? They're under scorn and contempt, but they aren't forcing the hand of God. Okay? They're not saying, Listen, God, we deserve this. But they knew that God had revealed himself as merciful. And though they didn't deserve it, they cried, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. That's their plea. Uh, next, look at the, their heart behind the plea. Look at verse 2. Uh, it's further proof that they weren't just strong-arming uh, the hand of God. They, they, they submitted to his will, and, their, the, and they submitted their timetable to him. Um, What you see in verse 2 is is the heart behind the prayer. They're asking for mercy, for favor, uh, but it shows us how they asked for it. Um, So it says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And So you have this metaphor uh, of, of the eyes of the servant looking toward the hand of the master. Uh, the maidservant looking towards the hand of the, of, of the mistress. And this metaphor between the servant and the master, you could take it a few different ways. Um, have you ever been in a wedding at a really nice uh, place like the Galgorm? Um, here's something weird about me. Um, I... When I'm at a meal or a feast, I really enjoy the food, really enjoy the people I'm with. But I also really love watching the like production of, of the feast. Um, I, I like watching the waiting staff do their thing. Um, Andrew would tell you, tell you this about me, that uh, when we're at a table ordering, I like to watch people place their order. I don't know why. I like watching the, the waiter you know uh, write it down. If they're really good, they don't even write it down. They just remember everyone's order. Um, I don't know why I like that, but I do. And, but one of the things that you'll notice about a big feast, like a wedding, uh, where the waiting staff, uh, in order to, to pull off uh, serving hundreds of people, uh, they all have to work as a unit. And you'll notice there's always a, a master of the servants. And there's always one person in charge, and the rest of the servants look to the master um, the, just a hand gesture tells, tells the rest of the servants it's time for the next course, it's time to clear these, these tables. Um, and this was particularly true in, in the ancient East here. Uh, the, the masters wouldn't even speak that often, just a hand gesture to, to give them orders. So, one way to understand this metaphor of the servants watching the hand of the master is, is that they are, they are focusing on his hand, waiting for orders, waiting for direction. But that's not how we should understand it here because in this context, it's the context of, sc- of scorn, of contempt, and the pilgrims are not waiting on an order. They're pleading for mercy. Derek Kidner writes that this comparison must not be pressed. These servants are, are watching for relief, not for orders, uh, looking to the hand of the master for, for relief, uh, waiting for his favor, uh, pleading for mercy goes on. He says, they're watching for relief, not for orders. Yet, servants they are. Still loyal, still submissive. And this is the heart behind their plea for mercy. As servants are, are submissive to the master. Uh, the maid lives under the authority of the mistress. And that's the metaphor for us. Um, though the providence of God looks different at times than what we would like it to, possibly... We submit to the goodness and the wisdom of the creator. We, we continue to look, look to him, fixing our gaze on his hand. And, and this is important. They looked at the hand of the master submissively, loyally, and patiently. How long did they wait? We hate waiting, don't we? Amazon Prime it. One day delivery. I don't want to have to wait. How long do these pilgrims wait and ask for Mercy. Look at the end of verse 2. Our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Until he decides to show us favor. They're, they're in the midst of contempt, of scorn, of scoffing. Would it be, wouldn't it be tempting to just give up? To, to just give in and join the masses? Lord, we've had enough. We've had our, 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 our full Our soul can't take anymore. Let's just give in already. And instead, they sing, we will look to the Lord our God until he is gracious upon us. Do you see the the faith that they must have had that the Lord knows best? Um, We may think that we've had our share. We may think that we've had more than enough. But remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 13. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He knows what you need. He knows better than you when you've had enough. And remember that he's working all things for your good. Remember what Jacob said in Genesis 50 to his brothers who showed him contempt, who sold him into slavery. He said, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He's he's looking back on all the contempt in his life, all the valleys, remembering that journey, all the suffering, and he says, God was faithful through it all. He had purpose in it all, and he used it all for good. So we wait, keeping our focus on him, waiting for favor. And listen, church, uh, sometimes that looks like him removing the contempt from your life. A lot of times, it looks like him giving you the strength to endure it. Why not just take it away? Remember what Peter encourages encourages us with uh, in 1 Peter 1. I think it's on the screen. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen to this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's saying God sometimes puts his people in a circumstance where they are the objects of scorn and contempt. Why? Because it purifies us. Because it makes our faith genuine. Because it it will result in the praise and honor of Jesus. Because it results in us experiencing joy inexpressible. Because it's necessary, he says. He doesn't take delight in our grief, but his purpose is to use that for his glory and for our joy. But no matter what, we keep our gaze fixed on the Master's hand. We look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. We're his servants, we work to his timetable. Trusting that his purposes are perfect, that he knows and sees the full picture, and we pray. Tim Keller says that God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So we trust him. We trust that he knows exactly what we need. We we trust that he's working all things for his glory and for our good. We look, we pray, and we wait. Be merciful, O Lord. And lastly, and most importantly, who exactly are they lifting their eyes to? Look at verse 1. To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Who does he look to? The Lord. You who are enthroned in the heavens. His eyes are immediately focused on God. This is really important. In looking for uh, relief from the contempt and scorn, he doesn't look to his circumstances. He doesn't look for earthly aid. That's not where his help will come from. Okay? We look, we, like the song sang this morning, we look to the immortal, the invisible, the only wise God. His eyes are fixed on you, O oh Lord who is what? Enthroned. That he is reigning. It, it may look like the enemies of the people or God are reigning at times, but because we're under contempt, but they're not. It's God who is reigning. He is enthroned. And he's enthroned to do what? Administer justice. Uh, uh, offer mercy. He's, he's the one we appeal to when we're under contempt and scorn. And he's not enthroned on earth. He's enthroned in the heavens. It's, it's the highest throne that there is, if you didn't know that already. It, there's, there's no other higher court to appeal to. The pilgrim looks to God who's enthroned in the heavens. Remember last week you have these thrones of David in the temple? He's, he's passing those up. I don't want no earthly throne. I'm looking straight to God who's enthroned in heaven. And there's an interesting parallel between uh, how this psalm begins and uh, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. How does that prayer begin? Let's all say it together in the count three. One, two, three. Our God who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> But Jesus isn't saying it's, it's a good way to start a, a prayer. It's a cute kind of, okay, this is a good way. Our Father who art in heaven. He's saying when you begin that prayer, you, like the psalmist in 123, you're to remember that your father is enthroned as God, as king, as judge. That, that you're making the highest appeal that a human being can make lincoln Dunglan says that 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 beginning, it's designed to bolster the confidence of the flagging spirit of God's people under duress and contempt. We're appealing to the one who is our God, the one who is enthroned in heaven. Listen to me, the the temptation will be to look at those who are scorning, who are scorning, to get angry, to get afraid, The temptation will be to look inward, to wallow in self pity, to become cynical. But notice the prayer isn't to you who are proud and at ease. I lift my eyes. They sing to I lift my eyes to you, O Lord, (laughs) you who are enthroned in the heavens. We're not created to fix our eyes on the enemies of the church. We're made to to behold the Creator of glory. And just as we end, we, we've just come out of Advent, so the coming of the Messiah into the world should be fresh in your mind. And there's a, a tremendous parallel between uh, this psalm and the story of Jesus. Because Jesus' journey also led him to this city, to Jerusalem. Uh, he too experienced the scoffing and the scorn of the world. His cup, as well, was, was overflowing. He he had more than enough of contempt. He too prayed for mercy. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But this is where the story diverges. Because he was shown no mercy. He didn't hear a cry, uh, an answer to his prayer. And in the end, they nailed him to a tree. And he did all of this for you and me. He was shown no mercy so that we might receive that favor instead. He went to the cross so that, so that he might end the hostility between you and God. He died so that, so that we can take our focus off of ourselves off of the world, and fix our gaze on him. Hebrews 12 says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which which clings so closely, and let us run the endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just like the psalmist here says, to you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Fix your eyes on him, church. I love that song we sang this morning before the throne of God. It says, when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. He made an end to all my sin." Because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. To look on him and pardon me. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you that that you are enthroned in heaven. We thank you that you are the the creator of of heaven and earth. We thank you that that you exist outside of our circumstances, that you exist outside of, of time and space. Help us to trust you, Lord, that you know the full picture. You know the end. You know how much we can take. But we lift our eyes to you. We fix our our eyes on the hand of the master. And have mercy on us, Lord. We thank you for your favor. We thank you, Jesus, for making that favor available to us for free. That's so good. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. we am just going to end like we always do uh, with this magnificent meal uh, reminding us of what he's done for us on the cross, reminding us of, of the way he made this mercy and this favor freely available for you and I. His body being broken, his blood being poured out, him becoming the sacrifice, him becoming uh, cursed on the tree so that we can look look our eyes to him, so we can receive that mercy, that grace, that favor. We can be without condemnation now, sons and daughters. So come as we sing, uh, rip the bread, uh, dip it into the wine, uh, serve each other. Um, This is an amazing, amazing meal.